I've always loved that song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It, uh, it kind of helps with the twofold purpose of, of Advent, that we remember uh, both the first coming and the second coming uh, of Christ. So it's a, it's a beautiful uh, Advent hymn. Thank you all for sharing that. Let me pray, and I'm also going to include kind of a, a bit of a pastoral prayer in, in the prayer that I also do at the, uh, uh, for the message, and I will uh, include the, uh, the Lord's Prayer at the end for you to join in uh, with me. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we worship and adore you, for you are our hope. We praise you that ours is a living hope. We, we praise you for the hope we have now and the hope we have in a glorious future. We praise you for Jesus who has pulled us out of the darkness of our sins. We praise you that he's removed the consequences of our sins. And he's given us hope that we can stand against sin. But we must confess our ongoing struggle with sin and Lord, we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome our sin and to help us repent and to walk more Christ-like. Lord, some among us today are in need of an increased measure of hope. They're grieving, and they need to be reassured of the hope of the resurrection. Others are battling illness, or maybe it's great temptation or depression, and they need hope that you will heal them and bring them through this dark time. Lord, whatever we're hoping for, I pray that you would fill us with a renewed measure of hope, that we would trust in you. You know full well that this world can be a difficult place in which to live. You've experienced everything that we experience, so fill us anew with your hope. Fill us anew with a living hope as we await the glorious return and the restoration of all things. Inspire now the reading and the proclamation of your holy word. And all this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, I'm going to share a bit of an introduction before we uh, get to the text. I just have some things I want to share as we, as we get ready uh, for these two texts. Uh, Advent and the Christmas season is, of course, here. They're, they're upon us. The evidence is all around us. But ours is an age of great distraction. And the tinsel and trees and the packages and parties can easily distract you and I from what matters most. They, they can keep us from the very heart of Christmas. And our Advent themes this year are nothing new. They're their hope and peace and joy and love. Those themes are at the very heart of Christmas. And more importantly, they're at the heart of the Christian faith. And today we 
begin with hope. You've already heard a, a little about hope as we lit the first Advent candle, but I want to dig a little deeper this morning. Hope is essential to our well-being. Hope is essential to our well-being. So essential that the Bible refers to it as a steadfast anchor for the soul. If we lose hope, our bodies seem to give up the fight. If we lose hope for our marriage, we become unwilling to do the work to stay together. People who find themselves in survival scenarios are not likely to make it if they give up hope. It's hard to overcome poverty if you've lost hope. It's hard to keep working if you've lost hope in management or lost hope in a bright future with the company. Hope is essential. It's essential to our faith in God as well. The book of Isaiah was written in very difficult times when the Israelites needed hope. The opening of Isaiah gives us the setting, chapter 1, verse 1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot unless you know something of those kings. And we can read about them in 2 Kings 15 to 20 and 2 Chronicles chapter 26 to 32. And I'm going to try to give you a summary. If you were to read those segments, you would find that these kings were a mixed bag. All but Ahaz. And Ahaz was pretty much evil all his days. But Uzziah and Hezekiah initially did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Both of them, though, let their pride get the best of them. Jotham did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but he only reigned for 16 years. And then Ahaz, his son, reigned in his place. And Ahaz was a wicked king. He filled Jerusalem with idols. He started the, the worship of Molech, and he even burned his own son to that god. He was an evil man. Ahaz clearly did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, and therefore Judah was defeated by Syria and Israel. And it was during this time of these kings that Isaiah came to prophesy. And three, three of the kings were pretty good. They were pretty good leaders, but one was evil. But even the good leaders let their pride get in the way, and it led to their future uh, being bleak, and it ultimately led to their destruction. Further, Syria and Assyria were attacking Judah. It was during this dark time that Israel, that Isaiah prophesied. And our text this morning was spoken in some of the darkest of times when Ahaz was king. And this is what Isaiah spoke in Isaiah 9, uh, verse 2, and then I'm going to read uh, verses 6 and 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. 
And then verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And then our text from Matthew uh, quotes another passage from Isaiah. Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, and he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Amen. Matthew explicitly makes the connection between Isaiah's prophecy and the birth of Jesus. Jesus was and is the long-awaited Messiah, he is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. However, as the prophecy about Jesus was made in dark times, Jesus was also born into very dark times. Herod, known as Herod the Great, the first of many Herods, was king. Now, history shows that he was a clever man, he was a capable man. During the great famine of 25 BC, Herod even melted down some of the gold in the palace in order to feed the poor. He built theaters and racetracks and other structures to provide entertainment for the people. In 19 BC, he began the reconstruction of the Jerusalem temple. But Herod was also very cruel and ruthless. He was so jealous and suspicious of anybody that might take over his kingdom and his throne, his position and his power. He had the high priest who was his wife Marion's brother drowned. And then he held a great funeral for the high priest and pretended to weep at that funeral. He then had his wife Marion, his mother-in-law, and two of his sons killed. Five days before his own death, Herod had another son killed. He had distinguished citizens of Jerusalem imprisoned shortly before his death, and he gave orders that they were to be executed at the moment of his death, 
because he knew no one would grieve for him when he died, and he had these men killed to make sure there was grieving in Jerusalem. That's how wicked he was. And of course, his greatest cruelty and pure evil was having all the male children in around Bethlehem who were two years old and younger slaughtered when Jesus was born. You see, the center of the Christmas story is, of course, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. But please remember, he was prophesied about in very dark times, and he was born into very dark and difficult times. But he is the fulfillment of Israel's hope, and he's the fulfillment of all our hopes that God pushes back the darkness, and he brings light into our world. One of the reasons Christmas resonates in our hearts is because we too live in a world that is far too often dark and corrupt and where sin so easily entangles. We too live with war and disease and conflict and oppression. We too are in need of hope. And at the heart of Christmas is the truth that Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us, is our hope. And hope, beloved, is not the absence of difficulty. It's not the absence of trials. Hope is a result of the presence of God in our lives. The problem is that sometimes we fail to sense or feel God's presence, don't we? We we wonder, we can't help but wonder sometimes, has He maybe abandoned us? Or we wonder, why why is this sense of hope taking so long in coming? The Jewish people waited hundreds of years for Emmanuel. And like us, many of them did not wait patiently. But reading Isaiah's prophecy and then seeing it fulfilled hundreds of years later in Jesus is a reminder to us that God is faithful. And seeing the faithfulness of God in the past, we can have hope that He's going to be faithful to us in the present and in the future. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 15.4, For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. All that's been written all the prophecy that's been fulfilled, all the scriptures were written that you and I might have hope, that you and I might hold on to our faith in God and not give up hope. Emmanuel, God, is still with us. God is still keeping His promises. We've been born again to a living hope. And please note that though it is truly hope for the here and now, it's also an eternal hope. Look at 1 Peter 1 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Our hope 
is that our resurrection is made sure in that first resurrection of Christ. When life ends here, new life begins as our soul, our inmost being, all that makes us who we are goes to be with the Lord. Why do we believe that? Well, Jesus said to the criminal who believed, today you will be with me in paradise. Not sometime later, not next week, today you will be with me in paradise. Paul, speaking of longing for our heavenly dwelling, said in 2 Corinthians 5.8, Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Absent from the body is to be with the Lord. Our hope is that as our Lord has been present with us here, at the moment of death, we continue to be with the Lord. Nothing in life nor death separates us from the love of Christ, from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But many Christians stop right there. They have some vague notion that, that they're going to get their wings and they're going to float around on a cloud out there somewhere singing in the heavenly chorus for all eternity. First of all, Nowhere does the Bible record our getting wings and becoming angels. There are a couple places where Jesus says that we're like an angel in that we would not be given in marriage. But we do not become angels. Angels are created beings with the specific task of being messengers of God. Secondly, though, I truly believe that when we die, all that makes us who we are, our souls will be with the Lord. And that's wonderful. That's a beautiful hope. But that's just a part of it. That's just a part of it. It's not the full hope. Listen carefully to Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. A new heaven, a new earth, the former things have passed away. Beloved, our hope is in the restoration of all things. A new heaven, a new earth. Our hope is, is in the Garden of Eden renewed and restored. The Bible begins with the Garden of Eden, and the Bible ends with a promise of the Garden of Eden restored. When, when you get home today after the covered dish dinner and after you've taken a little nap, read Genesis 2 and 3 and Revelation 21 and 22, and notice the descriptions there that are very similar between the Garden of Eden and the new heaven and the new earth. In the garden, there's a river running through it. In Revelation 22, there's the river of life. In the garden, there's a tree of knowledge. 
In Revelation, there's the tree of life. In Eden, God's walking in the garden. In Revelation, God dwells with humankind forever and intimately. Make no mistake, the resurrection, the restoration of all things is our hope. That's our ultimate hope. And there are glimpses of Eden's beauty right now if we'll stop and look at them and they give us hope. I think every time a baby is born, there's a glimpse of that Eden beauty. Just one week before my dad died, our nephew Daniel was born. A glimpse of hope. Our daughter told us she was pregnant with Audrey just before all the COVID shutdowns. And my first thought was, oh Lord, a child born into this chaos. But for me at least, she has become a sign of hope in a dark time. We get glimpses of Eden beauty when we stand and, I don't know, look over the Grand Canyon or when we look out over Lover's Leap or when we stand by our favorite stream. We see glimpses of, of Eden when we witness the kindness and the love and the goodness of people around us. And I think all these things remind you and I that God is still present with us now. And, and those things give us hope in the darkest of days. They're foreshadows of our ultimate hope, the complete restoration of all things. That's why at Advent we focus not only on the birth of Jesus, but we also remember the return of Christ in glory, when he'll give us a new heaven and a new earth. Think about that. No more mourning. No crying. No pain. No wheelchairs. No crutches, no aching joints as we try to work in the garden, no temptation. Our enemy will have been crushed. We won't deal with those nagging temptations that plague every day of our existence here. We'll never again stand over the grave of a loved one. No one will hurt anyone. A child will never be abused again. No one will be abused. God's preparing a place where you and I will, will never have to lock a door again. Nobody's going to break in. No one will be harmed in the kingdom of God. To me, it's not pie in the sky in the sweet by and by. But it's a real hope of a new heaven and a new earth. We have hope in the here and now because Emmanuel, God, is with us. We have hope that our souls upon death are with the Lord. And we have hope in the glorious restoration of all things, including new bodies for all of us. So as we close today in prayer, I want to urge you to go before the Lord and just name what's seeking to steal your hope. What's trying to take your hope away? Name before Him now the, the darkness you're facing. And I want to urge you to ask Him to overcome it.
And then I urge you to trust with me that hope is at the heart of Christmas. Hope is at the heart of our faith. Emmanuel has come as a humble child. God is with us now, and He's coming again in glory to restore all things, to bring a new heaven and a new earth where God will dwell in very close, intimate communion and union with His people. Hope. Hope is at the heart of Christmas. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you this morning in need of hope. Hope that you are faithful. Hope that you have provided all that we need by sending your Son. And so we offer to you now the areas of our lives where we need the hope of your presence. We name the dark places in our lives and ask that the light of your hope would shine into those places. Hear your people as they name those unto you now. Lord, may the light of hope of Jesus shine into the dark places we have named. We trust you today, and we look forward to that day when you will restore all things. Thank you for the hope that you alone can give. Thank you for the hope that is at the heart of Christmas. To you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be all glory, praise, and honor today and forevermore. Amen. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you might abound in hope. God bless you. Amen.